0: Good morning, uh, good morning, man. Um, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for your prayers. I know some of you have prayed for my family. My wife um, delivered a, a beautiful baby girl named Lillian Grace. So, she's got, for some reason, she's got l- l- light blue eyes right now and, we're trying to figure out the hair situation before she loses everything but um you know I was talking to some of you earlier I um <laughs> you can leave today uh knowing that you've been prayed for uh 12:45 my daughter decided to to wake up today and uh, for some reason she didn't cry she just wanted to be held and she was she was awake so at 2:30 I hand it over to my wife and I said, I gotta go to bed because I'm not gonna be able to make it. So, you've been prayed for and um, multiple times. And if the study today comes out in Portuguese, I can't do anything about it. So, um, no, but all, all jokes apart, we're, we're rejoicing. Um, it, it's, um, it's humbling to, to sit at a hospital in a ho- hospital room and be next to your wife when she's delivering the baby. And uh, to see that precious gift and then to realize that a lot of people think that that is just, doesn't mean much. Um, So very humbling. So, hey, thank you for your prayers. Uh, I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I am a a little nervous about this morning, not because I didn't sleep well, not only because I didn't sleep well, it's because this is a very challenging text for me personally. I, I, I ask myself this question, have I, ever, have I ever prayed like Paul just did in Ephesians chapter one for somebody or for a believer that I know? And, and unfortunately, the answer is not very often. And so I don't want you to leave here today thinking that, you know, I'm just guilty and you have that, that weight over your shoulders that I don't, I don't do this very well. I think we're here together because we want to help each other to actually do this Christian life or Christian living in, in a way better form that glorifies God. And that is through the way we pray, right? So um, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 to tw- uh, 23. That's our text for today. And uh, uh, Paul actually is going to pray for the Ephesian believers here that they would know the wisdom of God, the revelation of God, so that they might be able to actually uh, understand a few things here. One is the, the wealth of his inheritance the hope of their calling, and the greatness of God's power. Now, once again, if I were to ask you, have you ever prayed for somebody to know those three things about the Lord? You might say maybe one of those, but probably not all those three things combined. And I guess the challenge for us is to understand that that is a possibility, and that's what Paul is doing for the church. So here, here's how start. Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in, in the Lord Jesus in your love for all the saints i do not cease to give thanks for you when i remember you in my prayers now there's a very special word here when paul starts this passage which is for this reason now if i were to ask you what reason is paul referring here to you would have to say with me, hey, he's referring to the things that he has already talked about. So he, the, the reason that Paul is praying for is everything that he's already mentioned in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. So look, look with me here for a second. For this reason, he's going to give us a few things here. He's going to talk about God the Father in verses 3 to 6. He's going to say that we've been blessed by him in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Verse 4, he chose us in Christ, he, he, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So the work that God was doing was before everything even began or God began everything. Verse 5, he predestined us into adoption. And then in verse six, it says his grace was freely bestowed upon us. So not only his grace is an unmerited favor, his grace is a, his freely bestowed benevolence upon his people. And then he goes into the work of the, The the God, the son, Jesus Christ from verse seven through 12. And he says, and I have a few things here. He talks about the redemption through his blood that came through the blood of Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of our sins in verse seven. And in verse nine, he talks about he revealed God's will. Jesus Christ is revealing God's will for us. And then he ends this passage, this section here about Jesus talking about uh, that we have been claimed in verse 11 and I'll read it in Christ. We too have been claimed as, as God's own possession. And then he moves to the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in verse 13, that, that when, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, he says here, when you believed in Christ, when the, when the faith was put into motion, he says you were marked with a seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And then in verse 14, he says, he has not only sealed us, but he's been the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession, which is us, the believers, to the glory of his father. So because of those things, Paul is saying for this reason, verse 16 again, let me go back here one more. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in love in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. Now, there's a few things here. He's going to, Paul's going to highlight the sovereignty of God here. And he's going to describe the work of the Trinity throughout this. But in light of this glorious work that Paul is doing in this Thanksgiving section here that he offers to God based on God's work, listen to this, based on God's work, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, based on God's work in their lives, Paul is saying, I praise God for you pretty much without ceasing. He says he's expressing his thankfulness to God. For what God has accomplished in the lives of the believers now you have a quote in the second paragraph below the sovereignty of God in your paper it's a quote from D.A. Carson and Carson says this the assumption is that apart from God's powerful transforming work these people would never be converted without God they would never have begun to display their trust faithfulness and love now richly displayed in their lives therefore whatever Christian virtues characterized them became the occasion for the heartfelt praise. So you see it? I'm not praising God for you. In essence, not that I don't like you. Paul is not praising them because they're good enough. Paul is praising God's work in their lives. And because of that, Paul actually lifts them up in a thanksgiving section. Now there's two things here. He talks in verse 15 that he has done this and there's two key words here, faith and love. Let me move forward in here. For this reason, and we know the reason is there. Now, when we look at Paul, there are some things that are really interesting about Paul's relationship and the usage of the words faith and love, especially hope as well. He's going to use the word hope here, but it's not going to be combined in faith, love, and hope like he does in 1 Corinthians 13. But he uses a triad of word in here. Uh, Paul uses faith faith in love to demonstrate his thanksgiving to what God has already accomplished to them faith is directly related to their relationship through with God through Jesus Christ. So my faith is based, is placed in Jesus, and now my relationship with God is established. So he's, he's recognizing that, but he's saying not only this relationship that happens this way is important, now he's saying your love for the people becomes the direct result of their faith. So in one way, I'm loving God, I'm loving God so I can love others. And he's saying, Ephesians, you you have done this really well and I praise the Lord for you because the faith that you have in him and the love that you showed for each other. And in one way, that is what all of us are called to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why if you come to CBF or if you go to any church you go to, you should do what we've been called to do, to love God and to love others. So Paul is thanking God for what's going on here in their lives. And so here's, here's just a question for you. And once again, I don't, I don't want to make you feel guilty about this because I, just, I, I confess to you, I, I don't do this very often. And uh, uh, the question is, when was the last time you ever praised God for those in your life, for believers in your life in whom actually the love of Christ is consistently demonstrated? Just think with me for a second. How often has that taken place? Now, it's really easy for us to think about, you know, maybe, maybe a spouse, maybe my kids right now. But when was the last time that you prayed for the person sitting right next to you? And remember, Paul was in Ephesus. He pretty much gets kicked out of there. He wanted to be there longer, and now he's writing to them saying that he has heard what God is doing, and because of that, Thanksgiving is being lifted up for them. Now, it's easy for me to praise God's work for the people that I know in Brazil, but when was the last time that you opened maybe a prayer request from a missionary, and you praised God for the work that God was doing 7,000 miles away from here? Just just think with me for a second. Once again, this is not a guilt question. This is a question to move us towards the relationship that God wants to have with his people and the praise that he wants us to express to him. So I think in one way, Paul is offering thanksgiving for God's grace and God's sovereign work in their lives here in this situation. But, but here's, here's the beauty of this. If Paul was done here, we wouldn't know exactly what Paul is praying about. And the content of his prayer is actually extremely important. Now, do you have any questions, any comments just from this opening Thanksgiving part from Paul's uh, address to the Ephesians? Any comments? Did I speak Portuguese yet? Okay, good. Any questions? (coughs) All right, let's move along here. Now Paul is going to pray that God's sovereign wisdom would help the believers to actually grow in the knowledge of God. Now our text here, I'm going to break them down into some things. The first one that we see is Paul's prayer, because we're studying prayer, right? And so it is good for us to understand what, what the prayer looks like for Paul. And in verse 17, he says "Is I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Now, there are a few things here that I want to point out. First of all, is the description of whom Paul is praying for. Now, you might know people who pray for all kinds of different things, for nature to take place or for a different God or something. In Brazil, Uh, as a syncretistic society, we, we, we create our own gods. All of a sudden we're praying for different things and, and we verbalize those things. And Paul wants to make them aware that this God is not only the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he's the glorious father. Now, this is extremely interesting. You have some things on your note in there, and I'll try to summarize here for you. The expression here denotes four things. Okay. And look what he's doing. First of all, it, it, he's reflecting on a personal relationship between the believers in Ephesus and their God. He's saying, our Lord. So he's putting himself in the same boat, even though they're completely set aside and they're completely apart from each other. He's saying, your God and my God, that's the God I'm praying for. Second, he he defines the name of the God that he's praying for. He says, the Lord... Uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, 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 and the name Jesus here refers to Jesus in human form. Okay, so this is extremely significant. We'll, we'll look at this in a second, and, the, and I think I think it will make sense for you and for me why Paul is actually prepping them for what's to come in verses 20 to 23. Number three, he says he talks about his lordship. Jesus is Lord. And this is actually an early confession or, or in a confession from the early church. So the, the early church confessed Jesus as Lord. He he's actually declaring what was a tradition that was a Christian tradition at that time. And, and lastly, he's talking about his title as Christ, which communicated his um, messianic identity. He is the promised Messiah. So in just one declaration of who this God is that Paul is praying for, we have a loaded, loaded exp- expression of how, how gigantic, how, how powerful and sovereign this God actually is. But here's what he does. He also talks about this glorious father, or in some translations, the father of glory. And this is just uh, an expression of God's splendor, uh, God's... Um, power and his radiance in one way it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and I'll, I'll read it to you really quickly because Jesus said that if you want to look at God you didn't have to look any further right and so when Jesus is talking about uh, the relationship between and God and when the author of Hebrews writes this it says the sun listen to this is the radiance of Of his glory. You want to see the glory of God? You look at the glory of the son because he reflects the father's glory. And so here, the glorious father is a reflection or the demonstration or declaration of God's splendor and power. Now there's something that's really interesting here. Oopsie. That's why you don't go to sleep too late. Let me see where I was. There we go. whoops I might have to I might have to call the college students who come here and help me There we go. Yeah, sorry about that. I pressed the bottom button here and never realized that button was there. All right, so. So here's, here's what he prays for. In your notes, in the, middle of, the uh, middle of page two, it says this, his prayer is a reminder to the readers that God has disclosed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. So he's doing that in the sense of demonstrating to them that he's presenting himself through the person of Jesus Christ and has, according to Hohner, uh displayed the essence of being the summation of all attributes. So here's the question for us. If he's praying for them, and if, if you would pray for somebody, and you would ask God to do something for them, what would you pray for? Because if it is a prayer of getting to know God in the knowledge of God, how do we do that? How do you guys do that in your prayer life? Well, I certainly have to correct this here wisdom and revelation, when you look at revelation and the definition of it, it's a disclosure of truth. Bearing, laying someone naked, you know, concerning things before unknown. And so when we are supposed to study to show that we're approved, you know, we've got to have an attitude of all of that. If we're really going to be faithful to God and His community, and not just pray for what we want through someone. You know, and that, that takes getting out of the way sometimes like Paul doing here, Mm -hmm. you know, I I got booted out of the city, okay, but this, this is not about me, this is bigger than I am, so praise the Lord, amen, anybody else, how how can they, how how can the Ephesians know God better, (laughs) by surrendering, by surrendering, Remember, they, Paul is talking to them, and they, according to Paul, they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ already, so the surrender part has already taken place for salvation. But as Rick was saying, there's a surrender even in our prayer lives, right? Well, why do you and I pray? If God knows all things, and he does everything according to his will, why do we pray? Well, we pray to align ourselves with the Spirit I means to give ourselves out of the way and allow the Spirit to do So in one way, it's, it, we pray in, in a sense of putting ourselves under the submission of the Lord. All right? Now here's what it says, and let me pass here because we already looked through this really quickly. Now he talks about this. He talks about how he's going to pray and he's going to ask God two things that the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be part of their lives in your growing knowledge of him. Okay. In your growing knowledge of him. Now, one thing that we need to understand about this is that wisdom, spiritual wisdom is necessary for spiritual living, right? If I want to live like the world, I don't ha- I don't need spiritual wisdom, all right so in one way Paul is saying you are a you are a saint in Christ, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. now therefore I want the knowledge of God to actually be imparted upon you that the spiritual wisdom may be on you that you may live your life in an understanding way of who he is. That's why if you look at Ephesians, you have Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Paul's talking about God, who God is. So we have this idea of theology. And then if Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul talks about how do we we live our lives. So he says, based on who we know about God, now we live our lives. And Paul is prepping them for that same very concept that they must live their lives with spiritual wisdom. And that's why in chapter 5 when he says husbands you must love your wives you're going to need this. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6 when 6 when he talks about spiritual warfare you're going to need this. That's why in chapter 4 when he talks about having a unity in love amongst us you're going to need that. So that's foundational. And it's really interesting here that this revelation is the unveiling like we just talked about it of a subject. In this sense, it's an unveiling of God. God, Paul is asking God to unveil himself even more to them. Not just in the salvation aspect, but God would reveal his glory, his splendor. I once again, let me ask the guilty question here. When was the last time you prayed for somebody this way? That they wouldn't know. God and that God would transform and reveal Himself in that sense. Now listen to this. In in your notes here, there's a quote from from Stott that says, "Growth in knowledge is indispensable to growth in holiness." You will grow based on what you know. Tim. If do this type care, means that you know, uh, get out of the way so that God can speak to you, you know, and build up the relationship with, with the person that you pray for. And uh, that's that you will be revealed as to what mission you're supposed to fulfill in this relationship and where prayer fits in that. Okay, so God, God's going to make clear certain things for us, right? So when my daughter comes to you and she says, it's 2.30 in the afternoon, and she says, Dad, I I want a snack. I'm realizing she she didn't have enough lunch, right? So now she's asking me for something that's not gonna be as beneficial for her. So I translate that into, okay, let's feed her, but let's give her something healthy. That's what the Father does for us. That's why the Holy Spirit guides us in our prayers, even when we do not know what to say. But the thing that we know is that we can ask God to bless you in his knowledge through spiritual revelation and through this spiritual wisdom that God has imparted to all believers. Because the access has been opened, the veil has been torn, now the access is there through Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this is available to you. It's like I heard I heard uh, an illustration one time, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but it's this huge university, they, they were afraid of losing power, so they bought this massive generator. And one day they lost power and they tried to click the button and the thing wasn't working. And then they traced the, 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 all the wiring and they realized the generator had never been plugged to be able to charge. Now there's no power. And in one way the Christian life is that way. Sometimes we approach God in like the, the ER Type of idea? We just like it's a hurry. It's a matter. I'm bleeding. I'm gonna die here. Please, you just God intervene. But what, what Paul is saying is that this will be a daily thing for them. And I I pray this morning that that would be a daily thing for you. It takes a lot to the purpose. If you look at this, so that you may know him better. The bottom line. The there that That second half also. Kind of looks like an if-then state, If you grow, he will give. It's interesting because the verbs are ongoing, continuous. Yeah. Will give. Yeah. So, so the the Father will give us spiritual wisdom and revelation. He has done that through Jesus Christ already. And, and, and we know more now than we knew before, just in the sense of knowledge, right? So, so so, the growing knowledge of God is actually available. That's pretty much what Paul is saying here. But now look with me um, in here. Verse 18, it says this. He ends that and he says, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Now, notice notice here with me for a second that this is actually a past tense verb. This is this. This enlightenment has already taken place in their lives, right? But he wants to to communicate a few things here. Since the eyes of your heart. Now, this is a concept that's really interesting. The word here, heart, appears 157 times in the New Testament. Six times, I think, in the book of Ephesians. Now, what's really interesting about this is that all those 157 times that this word is used, it's never used in the sense of the physical aspect, okay? So what Paul is doing here, he's talking about, according to Kit Kidner, the eyes of the heart is a vivid metaphor that suggests not only intellectual understanding. So it's not us just getting intellectual things here because Paul just said in the New Testament as well, that knowledge for knowledge's sake puffs up, which means that, It just grows here. It doesn't change anything. God has not given us his knowledge so that our head might get bigger and we might look better before other people. He is giving us knowledge so that knowledge can cause us to live. And so that's why when Kidner says that it's more than just intellectual understanding, it's a total comprehension of God. When we totally comprehend who God is, it leads us to live and perhaps in this sense to even pray for people in a different way. Paul is praying here that the knowledge of God, God himself would fully unveil, which is already partially done to the believers, and they would have this comprehension. Now, there's a key takeaway here. Uh, once again, the heart actually in the Old Testament, if you look at this, refers to the center of all emotions. If you look at Exodus, you look at the battle between Pharaoh, the gods of Egypt, and the God. of of the Hebrew people and the whole idea of hardening one's heart, it was the seat of all emotions. So Paul's audience, even in the the New Testament, they would have understood this, that the heart was extremely significant. But now here's, here's a takeaway from you. The heart affects our emotions, our inner desires, our affections from which our actions arise. Now have you ever done something or have ever had any actions in your life that was not were not caused based on your heart's desire? When you hear that phrase, put your heart into it, do, a, <coughs> to a, do a while, <laughs> to it, do well. I think when they asked Jesus so the great commandment, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and body," and the second is like it, "The your neighbor yourself." So that's putting our into it we love God. Absolutely. And even are our words. The prophets are about the heart of speaks. And essentially, whatever is in your heart, So do you see, just, just from, just from the, th- the, the three comments that we just had here, and if we think about Old Testament, New Testament, the heart in many ways dictates what's coming out. We may not say anything. We might be able to use our eyes to, to do that. Our heart might cause us to sin. So you see the importance of a heart that's been fully transformed and that's exactly what Paul I think is saying here. Now on page number uh, the bottom of page number two, I think in your notes there's there's a threefold purpose for the knowledge that actually Paul is praying for. Uh, number one, he's praying for the hope of his calling. He's saying so that you can know, and what he wants them to know are three things. The hope of his calling, which means that this, this hope is actually grounded in the Old Testament idea of expectation. Now, hope here is much more than just like, oh man, I, I hope my wife will give me a Ferrari for Christmas. That is not happening. Okay? I mean, she might give me a plastic one and I'll be really disappointed. But the idea of hope here is a sure expectation. It's completely different than what we see hope now. So what Paul is saying, there's a sure expectation here that this is going to happen. So I want you to know the hope of your calling. And then he says this, the ultimate hope for the believers is to be with the Lord, isn't it? And and we know this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Can somebody read Romans chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 for us? Romans chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Go ahead. Uh, Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So do you hear the words here? And hope does not disappoint. I mean, for me to ask for a Ferrari... And not get it, that's the disappointment. But it's a real disappointment because I know even by asking, I will not get it. But when we talk about what God has done for us, is a sure expectation that we will not be disappointed. And that is the hope of our calling. Now, look at this. He talks about his glorious inheritance. That's the second thing. That's the second purpose of his prayer for knowledge. That we will know his glorious inheritance. The Ephesian saints, they are... God's inheritance. They, they're God's own possessions. You look at verse 11 with me again. Look at this. It says this, in Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we're predestined according to his own purpose for of him. Now we are his possession. And uh, uh, imagine this for a second that you would pray for somebody else that is a believer in Jesus to understand not only the hope of their calling, That is, that they have, because of their calling in Jesus, they have a sure expectation of life and eternal life, but that they would be understanding their glorious inheritance, that they are God's possession. Now, I haven't been here for two weeks, but when I was here last time, one verse came up that you guys brought it up, and it's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. Now, you know verses 8 and 9, but listen to what verse 10 says in Ephesians. He says, it's for we are his creative work. And in here, Paul is saying that we are the apex of his creation. We are God's workmanship. Not only we are his workmanship, but now we've become his inheritance. And Paul is praying that the believers in Ephesus would know that. Third, he's going to pray for the incomparable greatness of his power. Now, look at this. God's incomparable power was exercised for the benefit of the believer. And what I mean by the benefit is that his power was displayed in Christ so that the believers would be able to be saved and understand how powerful this God is. Now, in your notes, um, after Paul describes this power, he uses three words to describe the idea of power again. So now, when something is repeated in scripture, in scripture, you have to pay attention, but when, it, when God gives through Paul four words in one verse displaying his power, you need to understand that this is serious. So he uses the words here, exercise, which interestingly enough is the word that we have for energy. And you look at the Greek word in there and you realize it's pretty similar to what our English word would be which is to engage in a physical activity with purpose of generating power. The, the, the word immense is the power and rule to control through physical strength. And then he goes, ends this with the word strength, which is the exceptional capability with the probable implication of personal potential, which means, listen, he is pretty powerful. Now, uh, I'm going to put you, Steve, in the spot right here. You have some cars and they have, different horsepowers, right and you can measure you can measure that now so what's what's the lowest horsepower car that you have probably uh just, just say the number you don't have to tell the car well the lowest would be like 250. 250. what's the highest uh, 707. at this moment yeah at this moment. it's about to go to uh, 1100 something like that yeah. now We can measure the power of a car based on horsepower. But how do you measure the power of God? Because if you compare God with God, which is the highest with the highest, you still have the highest. And so Paul is just giving us a little glimpse of what he's praying for and what he wishes to see happening in the lives of those believers. Now, Wiersbe has a statement here. He says, by making us his inheritance, God has shown his love. By promising us a wonderful future, he has encouraged our hope. Paul offered something to challenge our faith, the exceeding greatness of his power to us, Lord, who believe. And then Paul ends this section. By the way, any questions or any comments in relationship to the prayer and the purpose of Paul's prayer so far? Any comments? As I read this section often, this is the one part that I've always stumbled on or meditated on uh, what God's power in our lives are. Because uh, if we could fully grasp that, it's beyond comprehension. But how often do we see God's power in us? And so my prayer has always been: Lord, show me what your power is. Because, like just said, it's beyond comprehension. And so, in our lives, I think we'll never really know, but we need to keep praying that the Lord does show that to us. Hmm. Great comment. Anybody else? All right, let's land this plane here. So now Paul is going to pray that the knowledge of God, about God's power, would be evident to the believers. And he's going to pray for three things here. And I want to show this to you really quickly. Now, here's what the text says. Verse 20. This power, and, and and here's an exercise I want you to do right now. Just listen to what Paul is communicating to the Ephesians and try to figure out who is the agent of doing all this work. Who is behind Paul's words here doing all the work that he's going to describe? So listen to what he says. This power, he exercising Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who is doing the action here? God. Do you realize that Paul is removing the Holy Spirit and Christ's work and putting all the the light, he's shining the light in God himself because he wants the knowledge of God to affect them. And here's what happens. Here's the first thing that we see. We see the power of his resurrection. Verse 20, the beginning of verse 20. The second half of verse 20, we see the power of exaltation. And then he ends this in verse 21 and 22 with the power I call lordship, power of lordship. So let's, let's take a look at what that means. Um, when he talks about the power of the resurrection here, that this power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead, the question is, why is the resurrection important? From all the powers, if you had three things, listen to me, if you had three things you would pick to write somebody about God's power, What would you choose? Would you talk about Genesis chapter one? That God created everything by speaking? Would you talk about the virgin birth? Would you talk about the the miracles of Jesus? Would you talk about the three amigos in Daniel? Where would you go? Paul goes straight to the resurrection. And and here's what is interesting about this. Once again, what Paul is saying and what Paul is praying is that God is the one who manifests his power in Christ's resurrection. He wants them to know this. They probably do know this, but he wants them to really know this. It's like yesterday, Dr. Craig was doing a, a theology class with my daughter and she was having trouble writing down some things in the little boxes that she was supposed to write and so after afterwards I have to come alongside of her and say hey listen this is what it means because she was so focused in one thing she couldn't get the bigger picture so now Paul is praying for the same thing he's <laughs> praying that they would understand that that the power of God in the resurrection is life-giving he gave life back to Christ and that God's power guarantees the future resurrection of believers Do you see how loaded this is? If he talks about God's creation in Genesis chapter one, none of those things would be there. Now here's the number two. He talks about the power of exaltation. This is based the words here in, in verses uh, 20 when he says, and he seated him, seated him at the right hand is a reflection of as a, is a words that were used in Psalm 110 verse one. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now, you know that this is a, a, a place of power and favor before God. And Jesus also claims the same words about himself. And here's what happens. There's a takeaway here. Paul's reference to Jesus being at the right hand of the father is significant because he's not proclaiming the exaltation of the, the pre-incarnate God. So this is not the God before human form. He's talking about the resurrection of this God, but the God's son because now Jesus is in human form forever. He's not giving the authority in heaven to Jesus as a God who was a divine being. He's now giving the authority to him also as a human. God fully, Jesus fully God and Jesus fully man. (coughs) The power of God and the resurrection of Jesus also guarantees guarantees this and we know this, the election. And then there's the Lordship. And let me just run this the last 30 seconds here. It says this, this is also a reference of Psalm verse uh, chapter 8, verse 6. It says, you appointed them over your creation. This is a reference probably to Genesis chapter 1, where Paul is talking about what God has done through his creation by giving Adam the dominion to rule over everything. Now we know that he was dis- disobedient. And in his sin, he would not be able to accomplish that. But now Jesus in his perfect, sinless life is able to do that. So guys, there's much to think through this. Next time you pray for somebody, maybe just open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And just try to think about what that would look like in the life of somebody else. I know we're running out of time. Thanks for your patience. Let me pray really quickly. Father, just Thank you so much for allowing us to be together here. I apologize for going a little bit over and for not covering all the notes, but Father, we pray that your knowledge uh, would be uh, uh, evident in our lives, that we would have the spiritual understanding and the revelation that you have already displayed to us in your word uh, available for us and that we would take advantage uh, advantage of that and that through the Holy Spirit, we would make a difference in the world. Because you have loved us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Have a great day. Thank you guys.